0: Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. What's up? And welcome to Social Jello with Angelo. I'm here with Mitch Powell, uh, official KSdi historian. Uh, Something okay I need to clean up because um, I've been making these podcasts, and I, the Kaju community loved the last podcast I did about the, the founder, Seijo Adriano Prado, they loved it. Unfortunately, I had a hard time with the public that also listens to this podcast where they were lost. Um, I had people tell me, you know, I couldn't keep up with it. And I, I recommended them, hey, check out the What is Kaju Kembo podcast. So I do always say, check out the What is Kaju Kembo podcast. But I'm going to try to do a better job of breaking down things for the general public during this podcast. I'm just going to say that right now. So before we even get started, Kaju Kembo is a martial art It's an American martial art that got started in Hawaii. And today we're talking about how, why Kaju Kembo has Chinese titles, why some schools have them. We might even go into why some schools don't, but I'm not going to get ahead of myself here because I don't know what Mitch is going to tell me because I don't do that. That's not how I run my podcast. I just put them on, I hit record and I say shit and sometimes I regret it later. Um, so so, so we're gonna go here but one thing i do want to say the fma community thank you for checking out the podcast the fma community a filipino martial arts community has been supporting the podcast because there is a lot of kajakimbo guys in there um and the fma community uh for those of you who don't know what fma is uh, a lot of the arnis scream filipino martial arts include sticks and knives let's make this easy for anyone doesn't do martial arts a lot of stuff that includes sticks and knives coming from the Philippines uh, under a general bill of FMA. Now, within that, people love, a lot of these guys love Kaju because Kaju Kembo, uh, you know, was Filipino. And I'm not going to go in there and talk about whether or not it's FMA because that's not my business to say that. But I will say that a lot of them do like it because of that. And I'm going to leave that right there. I don't want to get too sidetracked. So all that being said, thank you for checking out the show today we're gonna to talk about how these Chinese titles work stuff like sifu, Seagun, si seabok si um uh what's even the title sijo Shizu I've heard a lot of stuff. where is this coming from? um if you're doing a martial art and maybe it's a Chinese martial art or a Japanese martial art or you're doing an American hybrid martial art and you're wondering the same thing well, why Why does this guy want to call me Sifu? Why does that guy want to call me? Why why does some guys just want to throw this away? Just call me coach. Uh, What's going on here? That's what we're really breaking down during this episode. So even if you don't do Kajakembo, maybe you're from another school and you're wondering the same thing. That's what we're covering. Maybe it's going to be more in a Kajakembo background, but maybe it's going to be a little more of a coverage of where this stuff's come from as far as culture. All right. I hopefully abbreviated that correctly. So Mitch, our first question Let's just start with the big one. A lot of people have asked me, several people have asked me, why and when did the Kajukenbo system go from saying chief instructor and head instructor to suddenly using Chinese titles and calling, at the time, and I don't know, you're going to help me with the history here, chief instructor Adorno Imperado suddenly turns into Seijo Imperado. When and why did that happen? And then maybe we'll work backwards and forwards from there.
1: We'll definitely have to work our way forward. So we're not gonna talk about the founding or the history of Kaji Kimball, because you and I, we've done that on several of the Social Jello uh, podcasts already. So if you're a viewer who's just now turning, uh, tuning into this, please go back to those, take a look at those first because that's the information that happened beginning in 1947. What we're gonna start with today is what happened in the 1960s in Kimbo So we'll get to the point of where the Chinese titles came in, but we have to lay a foundation first for this. So according to Adriano Imperato, the co-founder of Kajakimbo, in talking with store uh, and John Bishop, by the 60s, he got very interested in Kung Fu to the point where he had decided he wanted to do, I don't know, for lack of a better term, uh, an overhaul of the traditional Ka- Kaji style. He wanted to implement more of the Chinese martial arts into his Kaji Kimbo. So uh, what he ends up doing is he starts uh, training, with Al Dela Cruz and Aldo Costos. Now, Dela Cruz and De Costos are often referred to as the two Owls. They uh, both were students of Cid Assunção. Al Dela Cruz was the first black belt that Cid Assunção promoted, and Aldo Costos was the second black belt that Cid Assunção promoted. Now, Cid Assunção himself, he was a student of Joe and Adriano Lombardo as well as Woodrow McCandless. So that's according to his bio, right? If you're a student of Woodrow McCandless, that means you're at the Paloma Settlement and you are there before December of 1956 because unfortunately that's when McCandless had passed away. So that puts you probably in the early 50s, 54, ish 55-ish as a student. So Asuncion gets his training and he decides to create his own martial art Called Kinkabo, which is Kempo, Karate, and Boxing. So he's using the same concept that Kaju Kembo used in mixing the different martial arts together. And he gets a school going, and these are his first two black belts. So we're in the early 60s, and is now training with these guys. So what do these guys bring to the table? Imperato, again, according to his, his, uh, his bio with with John Bishop, he was training from a Professor Lam, a Professor Lao and a Professor Wong, all in Chinese Kung Fu styles. Now, how the cost goes, he was training with a gentleman named Eugene Ho, who was from the Bok Sam Kong lineage. So they're learning various styles of Kung Fu, but primarily Southern styles. And they bring this information uh, and, and they start training with this. And Al Delacruz takes the first two Kaji Kimmel pinyon forms. And he breaks them down and changes the movements in the forms so that they're no longer this hard line, linear tempo striking. And he mixes in the hand movements that become more Chinese in nature. So he takes the same foundation of the forms and layers it with Chinese Influences from the different kung fu arts. So that gets us the the basically the foundation. Emperorado, Dela Cruz, and the Costco's training together and they're implementing these southern styles. What and year is what year is I, this? I'm, I'm right there. Okay. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> 1963. They decide that hey, we're gonna call our style pom pie. T-U-M-P-A-I. So, by calling it Tumpai, its translation means central way, for those that are wanting to understand what Tumpai means. And it's Silam, Hung Gar Kung Fu, and Tai Chi layered on top of the traditional Kaju kimbo techniques and forms. Now, they're going great guns, sounds like, from the discussions that I've been allowed to hear, things are going well for these guys. But then now the Costco's decides he's going to move to the mainland. So it's it's 1965 when he moves to the mainland. It's early 65. It's been reported as early as 63. It's reported as late as 66. So I actually uh, contacted uh, c the Costco's, and I said, hey, when did you move to San Francisco? He said, "My son Mark was born in February of 1964. About a year later, I moved to the Bay Area. So, for those trying to actually get a, a, a correct date, according to Alacascos, it's the early part of 1965."
0: And then, before we go too forward in our timeline, real quick, mm-hmm. just for the people that may have stuck around, at this point, before we're going to talk about right before 1963. Right before Emperado started training with all these guys that did a bunch of kung fu, um, he's doing more hard line karate, right? Karate influenced, hard blocks, hard kicks, linear strikes, Western boxing, because of his family members. Because I'm not going to say names because I don't want them because people listen to this for historical accuracy, so I'm just going to say general terms here. Family members that are in boxing, some of our some of them are professional, some of them are not. Some some of our friends. They're cross-training. They're sparring. They're full contact sparring. That's that needs to be said. It really doesn't need to be said. They're full contact sparring. They Koshikembo has a long history of maybe being even sometimes criticized for the past of full contact sparring. They weren't messing around. People were getting knocked out in sparring sessions. And, and that's that was part of it. But at this point in time, there is no Kung Fu or maybe a tiny influence coming from William Chow. Who knows? I'm not going to, again, I'm not doing this for historical accuracy. I'm just trying to paint a picture for the average person just listening to this, who didn't listen to us earlier about listening to the podcast. So at this point, it's kind of hard stream. Then they start doing this Kung Fu stuff. They're bringing in more Kung Fu, more circular movements, different movements and stuff. Um, I don't want to sidetrack you too much but do you know why i mean aside from the fact that they're going to cross train right they they're under this of these people do you know why this is the 60s this is 1963 so and the reason i'm asking this is cuz i was told that it was brought in because of the bruce lee movement because of bruce lee kung fu but this doesn't match because that's not until 1970 that the whole that bruce lee even comes onto the scene and makes um kung fu the famous thing that it is this is way before that so that's not now that totally no offense to anyone who told me that or believes in that and i'm not trying to challenge your beliefs here but that kind of debunks that historical timeline the idea that the kung fu was brought in to make kajukama more mainstream and more appealing to the public because that's not until 1970
1: yeah you got to go back to hawaii in the 1960s you know, earlier than that, we know for martial arts purposes that Hawaii was a melting pot. You had Chinese uh, martial arts there, you had Okinawan martial arts there, you had uh, uh, just the islands arts themselves, right? So it's a melting pot anyways. But I think what ended up happening is the Chinese were more open to instruct non-Chinese in the 60s. So I think once that door opened, the folks that were martial artists, like Imparato, said, hey, man, I'm going to go in that door. I'm going to train in there, too. So I really think it was about having an opportunity to train. The influence came from there. And so while they're seeing this this new martial art, because it's completely different than their Kempo, anything that would have came from a or to Chow would have been very different than this. I think like anyone else, they wanted, wanted to know more about it. They wanted to see well, what was it. And because, you know, some of it's very good, they realized this. And they said, hey, wait a minute, we're going to use that too. So you get those 1960s where they have enough time to do the training. You've got a couple of years there, 63, 64, 65. The Costco's is now gone. But what happens next is probably as important as any of that. All the Costco's goes to the Bay Area. And he befriends some of the martial artists in the Bay Area, Cam Yin, Wong Jackman, Paul Ying, and Ron Lu. These are some big names later on. So who is Cam Yin, right? He moved to San Francisco in the 60s. He's Paul Ying's uncle. He became a student of Wong Jackman. And at this time, early in his, you know, early age, uh, Cam Yin is an aerospace engineer. So he's obviously a very intelligent man. Later on, he became a doctor. He he, he was a chiropractor. So we're going to stop right there for a second. And I'm going to give you a trivia question. I'm going to fail. Who was David Carradine's Kung Fu teacher for the television show Kung Fu?
0: I don't know. I'm just gonna say I have no idea. I I remember the show, and I and, I, and I'm just gonna wildly guess.
1: Well, I'm Jackman, but I'm probably Close. wrong. <laughs> Close Cam Yin. Oh, okay. So the first gentleman, it was one of the guys that influenced was Cam Yin. Cam Yin was a technical advisor for the show. He was uh he was a stunt double for Carradine and some of the other characters, and. You know he had a pretty big role in this development of this TV show. I remember being a kid, there was an article in a newspaper that David Carradine had kidnapped Cam Yin and took him to some island and made him teaching him private lessons there. It was probably all nonsense, but I do remember reading that when I was a kid.
0: I mean, so, it's like very early clickbait before there was clickbait.
1: <laughs> there you go. So you got Cam Yin, he's one of the guys influencing him, and then you got Wong Jackman. Everybody knows the Bruce Lee story, right? Wong famously fights Bruce Lee. It was in 1964 that that fight happened. It was in Oakland, California. So it actually happened before the Costco's came to the mainland.
0: And it actually happened before Bruce Lee was, because if that if that's correct, at this point, let's just check out our timelines here for, for people who weren't cause Campbell guys. And one thing I forgot to mention. Uh yeah, earlier when I said what Kimbo was before the Kung Fu influence came in, uh there was judo. I forgot to mention the judo, which means takedowns, but still a street element. So they have ground and pounds. So it looks very much like MMA. All right. Now we're here. 1964. Right? That fight between Bruce Lee and John Walkman took place in 1964.
1: In Bruce is Bruce's best friends with James Jim Lee. They're and, hanging out together.
0: And if you saw the movie, it's nothing like that. Um, I've seen, I don't want to go too far into that because I want to go back to our Koji Kemba history. But um, for an, a brief abbreviation, if you don't know who Bruce Lee is, you're going to be very lost. <laughs> and there is, believe it or not, this new yeah. generation, there's a lot of people that don't even know who Bruce Lee is. I do recommend you look up Bruce Lee. There's a lot of stuff on him. And then look up John Rockman. There's a whole movie made of it. But when I read the articles, um, it was more of an in-dojo fight. I don't want to go too far because there's a lot of there's a lot of lure behind this story, but it was more of an in-dojo fight, uh, a quick layman's for anybody who didn't know what was going on. Bruce Lee opened a bunch of schools. Oh, not a bunch of schools, actually. At this point, his school is just kindly kind of doing better. It's not blown up. This is before Bruce Lee is any. He was already he's he's always been in film in, in China but he still hasn't gotten into mainstream film. Actually, if he's in America at this point trying to get into film, trying to get his whole uh, Hollywood lifestyle, and he's not in Hollywood, so he's so he starts his school to try to make a foundation to make money off teaching martial arts while he's trying to... Well, it's, it's I don't want to go too much into Bruce Lee's history, but at this point, this is where Bruce Lee... So again, what I'm trying to clarify here is Bruce Lee is up to, If you are, if you do know who Bruce Lee is great cuz Bruce Lee still isn't the super mega star that he is in the 70s this is no pretty- he,
1: he's, he's 24 years old
0: yeah he's just a guy who's running a kung fu a school as they would as 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 he had in his science
1: all right so broadway and over. so the one thing we were talking about is that everybody knows Wong Jack Man from the fighting but that's not important to us as a kung fu practitioner trying to figure out this whole kung fu thing what's important to us is what did Wang Jackman teach? So his primary styles were Northern Shaolin, Shingyi, uh, Tai Chi, and Bakwa. So if you're looking at, hey, what would Al de have seen training from this guy? Those were the styles. So from there, we moved to Pauling. So Pauling trained in Choi La Fut, Yang Tai Chi, Chao Gar, Fu Jiao Pai, which is Tiger Claw and Black Tiger System. And then Hungar, which we know is Tiger Crane, right? So it, it, Eng and his brother were actually disciples of a gentleman named Wong Mutel, Moon Toy. They trained from him from 51 to 60 in New York and Toy passed away. And so Paul Eng was given to school. So he was like the top disciple. So he's legitimate. Again, he's like 23, 24 years old. He's a young man. So he moves to the Bay Area, Bay Area, and he also begins his training from Wong Jackman. But at the same time, Pauling opened a martial arts school and started teaching. So, a little side note about Pauling: he was in the army uh, during Vietnam, and from '67 to '69, he was in the Vietnam War. He didn't get one Purple Heart. Pauling got two Purple Hearts during the war, and he got nominated for a bronze star. So I know he's passed away a few years ago, but I will salute him for his service. He was truly an American hero. Uh, then you got Ron Liu. He's the last of these gentlemen that is, you know, befriending all the Costco's. In the early 1960s, Ron Liu became one of Paul Ling's very first students. Uh, Ron Lu gets to learn all of this Kung Fu stuff that, that Pauling is exposed to plus what he knew prior and, uh, Ron Lu and other Costco's became friends and they are still great friends today. Um, Ron Lu is a master of several Kung Fu styles, Qigong Gong master, a screamer master. He's a master of the whip. Uh, I mean, this guy's got an MBA from Pepperdine university. He's obviously a high achiever and, uh, He's got this book. I'm going to hold this up. This is his newest book called A Screamador. You can get this on Amazon. So I'm going to freeze you right there with another trivia question. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Who is Grandmaster Mitch Powell's a Paria's Escrima teacher? Come on now, you got this. I hand fed you 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 are
0: you you are okay.
1: yeah he's a he's a very close friend of mine he's my my instructor my stick instructor and in, uh, I got a lot of information from him so when you're going hey where's this guy get all this stuff um if I can't get it directly from the source I usually know someone that maybe knew that person and you know, 50 years of relationships in the martial arts, you're able to ask some questions. So we now know these are the guys that are influencing what de Costos is learning, right? So if you're looking at where did it come from, boy, well, it came from those avenues. The professors that Imperado were training with uh, and the information that de Costos and Al De La Cruz would have gotten from Kung Fu training from these folks. And I'm going so-
0: intru- to interrupt you real quick. He just said professor, that's another thing, that's another title. I'm very, I, at the very beginning of this, I was saying, oh, we only had these titles. Professor is another title that wasn't around till later. I'm sure we're gonna we're gonna clear this up a little later. We are, we are gonna but clear I, but that up. I, but I but I'm bringing this up right now because even in the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu community, that title did not exist. So if you're listening to this this far, if you're a BJJ guy who's listening to this, because you know I do BJJ. you're listening to this podcast you've gotten this far because i have bjj students um doing kajuken with me you got to this point he just said professor i want to let you know that even in the bjj community they're having the same conversation about professor because that doesn't exist it's a japanese martial art that should not exist in their art either but that's a different can of worms all right continue
1: yeah you know i'm gonna detail off of that. Uh, you heard me say Sifu Costcos. I want to point out to your, your viewers, Costcos is a senior grandmaster, one of the highest ranking Kajukenbo practitioners in the world, one of our most senior practitioners. But you heard me say Sifu Al. To me, that's the most respect I could possibly give to a person by calling him Sifu, which means teacher. So he is a, even though he's not my direct teacher, he has taught me a lot over time, either by things he said, things he's done, etc. So to me, as we get into the titles and we'll get there in a few minutes, titles mean something, they're important. So let's go to 1965 and according to John Bishop again. And for those of you who don't know who John Bishop is, here's one of John Bishop's books. This is also available on Amazon. This is another one of John Bishop's books, also available on Amazon. You will find about as much information about Kaji Kimbo as you possibly can in those two books. Not only how the art came about and who was involved, but the next group and the next group after that, because it's broken down very well in John Bishop's books. So, and John is, uh, he's a personal friend of mine. We're both retired law enforcement with a lot of similarities, love the history of Kaji Kimbo. So what what, uh, what John Bishop said was that Imperato and, and Dela Cruz came to California to meet up with all the Costcos and they all got together to basically kind of see what all the Costcos were learning. And once the Costco showed him the things he was learning, which were primarily northern style Kung Fu systems, they decided, hey, maybe uh, maybe Tumpai is not the right name for our art. To them, Tumpai was more the Southern style, the shorter, close range movements. And as the long styles were added from the Northern system, they decided we're gonna call our style Chuan-Fa, Kaju Kimbo Chuan-Fa, because it's gonna incorporate the Northern and the Southern styles into one art. So what they did was they just added or adopted the Northern flavor to what they were already working on. They didn't stop Tum pie, put it in a box and put it on the shelf because people from time to time will say that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They stopped doing pie. they just put it all on the shelf, left it alone, and then they started over and they created Chuan Fa. That's not true. And those that's per Aldo Costco's. And then, they just, just kept quick, layering onto the curriculum.
0: And just a quick side note, real quick look under my Kaju Kembo Methods playlist. I'm going to put in, I'll put, I should, it'll probably be here in one of these add-ons later. You can look up the Tampai Method for more history on Tampai.
1: Right. Yes, you already have a, a, a podcast on there. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, for those that don't know, Chuanfa is a is a Chinese term that basically means Kempo. So Kempo is the law of the fist or fist method or fist art. So Chuanfa is the Chinese expression of that same meaning, where the Japanese expression is Kempo. So for your viewers that might not know that. Um, so now some of your questions that you were asking about the who, when, where, why, that comes right now. It's 1966. That's the transition period. So in a recorded interview in, in 2010, Alva Costco said in 1966, The group began to formally use the name Chuanfa Kajikimba. So that answers that, hey, when did it start? Well, let's use 1966 for that. So some things came out of that period of time. Imperato said, hey, here's the deal. I want all my schools to adopt this new Kung Fu-based curriculum, and I want them to all adopt the Chinese titles. you're in yes, sir. Which are we're get we're get there. We're, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we're 1966-ish, and we've got two styles of Kajikemo now. We've got the traditional hardline kempo karate method of Kajikembo, and then we have the new Chinese-based Kajikemo Chuanfa. Okay, so the titles now, Emperor says, here's how this is going to work. Sijo, which means founder, will be my title. And for the instructors, instead of calling you sensei, which were the old Japanese titles, you're all going to be called sifu. Now, as they moved forward with this adopting of these Chinese titles, they adopted other titles like Hing for brown belts. So your senior brown belt in your school would be sihing. And then if you're a first degree, second degree black belt, they would use the titles of Siba or uh, Sisuk. For third degree, fourth degree, and fifth degree, they decided to adopt the title of Sifu. So that's your instructor. Your three, four, five is your, your beginning instructor, and intermediate, and your advanced instructor, all called Sifu. And then they said, hey, here's what we'll do for sixth degree. We're we're going to do sixth and seven, because that's your advanced instructor, we're gonna call you Seagum. Then initially, uh, associate professor was used for eighth degree and then full professor or just professor was used for ninth degree. Now that happened to change right around the early nineties, I believe. And what they did was they decided that professor would be eighth degree, and Grand Master would be ninth degree. Dr. Kimmel didn't have any Grand Masters prior to that. As the title started to get higher, they decided to make the ninth degree a Grand Master. Okay, so we got all the titles. Um, now here's an issue. This is a dilemma it came up many, many years ago. It, it's kind of still a dilemma. There's a problem with the title of Seagung. Do you know what Seagung means? Teacher of teachers. Teacher's ma- teacher. Ma- yeah, teacher's teacher. So here's the deal with that. So my Kaji Kimball and Chuanfa teachers were Senior Grandmaster Calvin Shin and Senior Grandmaster Emil Bautista. And their teacher was Agung Tony Ramos. So Tony Ramos is my Seagong. So if I saw him, I would call him Hi, Seagong, how are you? Although he's a much higher rank, you know, grandmaster, great grandmaster rank. It's almost belittling to call him Sigong. because in Kajikimbo, a Sigung is a six or seven degree. But according to the Chinese uh, terminology, based on what I've read and seen, that means teacher's teacher. So here's a really confusing way of doing this. When I promoted my son Matt to Black Belt, I was a professor in Kachikemba. When Matt promoted my other son Dean to Black Belt, by that time, you know, a few years later, I'm a grandmaster. So I, as a grandmaster, I was Matthew's Sifu, but Dean's Seagung, but my title was grandmaster. Is that confusing? Yeah, say the yeah. least. So all I can say is that was brought up many years ago. And, and from my understanding, Adriano Amparato, you know, our founder of kajikimbo he said, I want it that way. I can make that decision. I want six degrees Seagong and seven degrees seagong, and that's the way I want it. And hey, hey, he's the creator of this system, the style and everything. So, you know, if he wanted to call them anything, he could. That... Those were just uh, the, the names we, as we outlined them. Those were just the ones that were used. And Sigung seems to be the only one that really had any issue.
0: And this is 1966 that he made that decision.
1: Uh, yes. Okay. Well, I think those additional tiles probably came maybe later, part of the 60s, 60, 69, maybe 70. before. initial 70. was Sijo founder and Sifu instead of, uh, instead of Sensei. But I do want to say... Look, we're an American martial art created in Hawaii by combining Japanese and and, uh, Okinawan martial arts. And we adopted Chinese styles, but I really don't care where you go. If you're a Kaji student, someone says, hey, I'll see you at the dojo. No matter what, the school is still called a dojo. I've never heard anybody say, yeah, we're going to the Kwon. So yeah, we talking about all these Chinese styles, but we still train in a dojo.
0: Yeah, I've heard, I've heard Jim, heard Jim oh, recently. Gym. Yes, so it's Jim, but I've dojo, but never heard a clone.
1: So yeah, very confusing. But look, that so you know we get all this stuff done, and you think, okay, everything's going great. You know, there's this new curriculum. They've got this this kung fu flavored kajukimbo, This chuan fa. And all you got to do is teach people, right? So Imperato said, hey, here's what we'll do. Costco's, you're going to train the guys in California. And Dela Cruz, you're going to train the guys in Hawaii. So according to uh, Dacascos, he ran into a problem when he was teaching the new curriculum, because he was junior to many of the people that he had to teach. Some of them didn't accept the fact that, his, that their junior was giving him instruction. Some didn't like the idea that it wasn't the traditional kajikembo and there were changes and so forth. So according to uh, Sivuao de Cascos, he said, some of the instructors learned some of the new curriculum, but not all of it. And some of them were also influenced by other Kung Fu that, that was being taught in and around the areas they were in. So he said that it made it very difficult for him to try and be the, the guy that's educating everybody on this curriculum, but not everybody was on board. But out of this came the original method of Chuanfa, which Al De la Cruz, who lives in Hawaii, is still the head of. And you also ended up with Ramos' method. So Tony Ramos is actually a, a Kaji Kimmel Chuanfa method, but it's his own method. And Charles Gaylord, who has passed, but he was a great grandmaster of Kajakimbo. He had also his own flavor. It was a Kajakimbo Chuanfa uh, system called Gaylord Method. And there again, are other methods out there, but those are the primary ones.
0: And again, for anyone listening, I will remind you, check out the Methods playlist. It'll clear all this up if you want better, like a longer... people keep Now people listen to us and they're like, I want to hear more. I want a deeper dive. <laughs> to say it's been done check out the playlist it'll go there for you
1: so uh again according to all the costcos when you get to 1969 i think he pretty much had had it he he was hurting cats people were not really wanting to get this whole uh, mountain of information adopted and implemented into their systems and so he took a lot of the knowledge that he had and he, he was working with, and he said, "You know what, guys? I'm going to do my own style." And he came up with One Up Kudo, which is the third Kaju Kempo style. So at that point, now you've got the traditional style, you have the Chuan Fa Kung Fu based style, and now you have One Up Kudo, which is the Costco's his own take, which was the Kung Fu stuff that he was learning layered on top of the Kajikembo
0: Ken Kabo that he was learning. Can I so, before we move forward? I'm maybe you're gonna bring it up sooner. You you briefly mentioned it earlier. You said that Sijo said in I'm looking at my notes while I'm reading this. Sijo said around 1966 when the Chang Fa got founded, we're gonna bring in these Chinese titles. Sijo means founder. Now where did he get that? He just I obviously like. Well, was... I, I
1: don't want to. I don't want to steal some of Aldo thunder because I know you're going to have him on your podcast. Okay, I'm sure he will explain to you about Doctor Sun and the influence that he had on naming and bringing in the Chinese styles. Okay, so that's going to be a different podcast. Okay,
0: but that, but because because this, this goes with people always ask me where did why did so well you kind of did the why we have the why here uh there was a chinese influence that came in he was already training in chinese influenced martial arts um around 1960 right 1960 if i'm looking at this right because all the costcos comes to the mainland 1965 so if i'm looking at my timeline correctly around 1960 uh the co-founder of Kembo who is not Cizhou yet, he's just a co-founder, probably calling himself chief instructor, is training in Kung Fu styles because he finds them interesting. One more side note for any of the Godin guys listening um, and any of the Hawaiian Kempo guys listening, uh, there is another podcast I did about the Godin method. It's extremely short because at this point, if I'm following my timelines correctly, and this is what inspired the question, because Hackleman asked me this question, um, Godin's gone. Godin's been gone since like 50-something, right? 50-something, or like, according to the timeline that I heard, he's split. So, while all this Kung Fu stuff is happening in the 60s, Godin is not there. And I know this, uh, this seems like a sidetrack, but it's important to note because that later, when they do come back into the Khaji Kembo system years later, years later, a lot of those guys are confused about where this stuff happened because they their instructor, they're their founder to their to their method of kajukembo wasn't around for this and i'm not going to go into the details why and all that stuff i want to avoid all that um there's a whole there's other podcasts on that check it out go to my playlist you'll find it but it's important to note that because there's a whole they're all now we are all part of the kajukembo community and i'm gonna let you go back to your timeline but now everyone listening we're all part of the kajukembo community and a lot of us don't know the history which is why People are coming to my podcast. They can't. say I'm not the Kajakembo podcast. I just like talking about this stuff. Um, so, but when you look at that timeline, it makes sense. It makes, it's a it's a clearer picture why fast forward to now there are some people who don't understand why there's Chinese titles because there's branches of the Kajakembo community that branched off and came back and missed that entire section of that history. All right. Well, back, to, I, back, back to where you were at here in 1969 with one honk of dough. Sorry. <laughs>
1: I'm just going to say on our last podcast, we talked about this. Depending on when the instructor left Hawaii or who they trained from in Hawaii, their knowledge is going to be different because Kaju Kembo was evolving from a Kempo system, became Kaju Kembo. So there's a window where that happens. Once it's Kaju Kembo, how long are you there learning? before you go to the mainland or wherever you go, right? So the same thing is happening again, but not only is it how long are you with this teacher learning this stuff, but what are you influenced by? That's why I wanted to lay the foundation of what did Aldo Costco see when he went to the Bay Area? This is the stuff that became the influence of what they ended up creating and layering over the top of the traditional Cajun Kembo. So uh, we talked about the three branches now. You've got the traditional branch, and there are different methods within the traditional branch. You have the Chuanfa branch. There are different methods. Ramos method and Gaylord method are different. Uh, what Al, Deca- Al De La Cruz teaches in Hawaii is gonna be different than those other methods, but it's all under the Chuanfa umbrella, right? So. Then you get your your uh your third branch, which is one Do. There's a fourth branch of Kaju Kimbo, and that is Tumpai. So we'll explain that one and see why that Tumpai is not the original Tumpai So 1971, Jan Loren he begins uh incorporating Tai Chi and Shilam into his Kajukimbo, Chuan Fa. So John Orange John uh, teacher is a gentleman named Joe Clark. Joe Clark was Tony Ramos's second black belt from the Fairfield school. So Tony Ramos opens his school in 62 and he starts training, teaching his students. Calvin Shin was his very first black belt. Joe Clark was the second black belt. Emil Bautista was the third black belt and so forth. Joe Clark heads up north towards the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Washington, Oregon area, and he starts teaching, and Jan Lauren is one of his students. So, 71 rolls around, Jan Lauren starts to do actually something very similar to what Imperado, De La Cruz, and De Cosco had already done, taking these southern systems in Tai Chi and, and adding it or layering it over his Kajikembo. So, from my understanding, in 1974, and this date could vary a little bit, because I've heard it as late as 78 and as early as 74. But according to Bishop, was 74. Jan Lauren is staying with Adriano Imperado. And at the time, he shows Imperado what he's doing, how he's added this information to his Kaji Kimbo. And Imperado, he likes it. He wants to see more of it. And through their discussion, they come up with the idea that Jan Lauren can reactivate the name Tom Pai. So he doesn't create Tom Pai. He has a system he calls Northern Kajikimbo that he's adding to and creating then. And they decide that we're going to let you use this name, Tompai. But Emperorado says, I'm going to have some, some restrictions and some requirements for you. And so, whatever they are, he decides that, okay, you're going to use Tampai, but you're going to have to do these things first. Jan Lauren goes along with it, does whatever needs to be done. And my understanding is in 1984, Emperado gives him the blessing and says you are now the fourth branch of kajikimbo you are now tumpai kajikimbo tumpai so 1984 is where that comes from so i want to wrap up uh get close to wrap up here is there's some key points the original tumpai curriculum morphed into Chuan Fa. it didn't disappear it morphed into Chuan Fa. Lauren, John Lauren's Tumpai was different than what Emperorado, Dela Cruz, and DeCost had created. Yon Lauren was a creator himself. The uh, the curriculum that Jan Lauren used is not technically the original Tumpai curriculum, but he did train with Al De So I'm pretty sure some of it must have crossed over. Why would Al Dacascos not say, yeah, but we did it like this? Or this is what we layered onto here. So some of what they have may actually have been some of the older curriculum. I don't know enough about it to say that. I'm just gonna say it's a possibility. For the Tempai stuff? Yeah, for the okay. Tempai. Well,
0: the, the, Costco uh, uh, was a uh, creator Uh, of it. His, uh oh, man, I'm gonna miss his name. Uh Hewer. Mm-hmm. He he oh, Bob Horr. Yeah, uh, Bob, Bob Hoare. Okay, yeah. Go yeah. back back to that podcast. Listen to that. He actually talks about that. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but he goes into details about what you just what you just said. You don't know. Bob Huer did know, and he talked about it. Check he's, it out there. He's, yeah, there, he's, he's he, one he,
1: of the he, top guys in Tumpai. So uh, I think the last part of this is Al De La Cruz, he's still the head of the Chihuahua branch. He lives in Hawaii, and he is also the person who possesses the original Tumpai curriculum. That's per Al Costco. Uh, There are different versions of the traditional imperado method. There's different versions of Kajukimbo Chuanfa. There's different versions of Kajukimbo Tumpai. So as Kajukimbo grew and became these other branches, not everybody learned from the same playbook. Not everybody used the same exact techniques, the same exact forms, etc., There's always that room for your own process, if you will. And the instructors take advantage of that. So that's why there are different arts. And you can go into one school, a Tumpai school, and go into another Tumpai school, and these are different. Same thing in Chihuahua schools, same thing in traditional Kajkimo schools. Uh, And I'm just going to say this, uh, and it'll probably piss some people off. So that's why I'm going to say it. There is no secret sauce. Nobody has the special book. No one has the undivided truth. Okay. Kajikembo is constantly evolving. There's original Harline method, and there's the modified Kung Fu-based methods, and some are even more uh, Chinese influenced in nature than the others. It's all good stuff. It's all actually is all based towards street self-defense. If you look at Juan Hopkundo, you realize that's a street fighting art. Uh, it's not a roll around on the ground art. It's it's a technical-based tactical training art. So, you know, the knowledge is there for anybody that wants to learn it. There's a lot of Kajikamo schools out there. And, it, you know, if anyone has any other questions about the development of Kajukimbo, where the where the ranks came from. Man, we've covered that, and hopefully this is like that next step of not only did the founding start in 47, but as it evolved, it also continued to move into this, this area where it's Chinese-influenced, which became the titles. And here's another thing. Not everybody uses the Chinese titles. So... The bottom line is, if you are a Kaji Kimmel practitioner, you should be able to draw a line from where you were trained directly to Adriano and If there's no direct line from your teacher, their teacher, et cetera, to Kaji Kimmel, you can train in Kaji Kimmel, but it's a name only. It's not from the actual original school or system because a lot of people do use the Kachikemo name now, and it might be a kickboxing group or a mixture of stick fighting and and, and BJJ. They still follow under a Kachikemo brother. You should be able to draw a line, black belt to black belt to black belt until you get to see Joe If you can do that, then you have a direct connection to Kachikemo. And-
0: it's just important to note this because this is something that me and Hoyla were talking about. Why are we having these conversations? Why am I recording these conversations? Why am I putting these publications out in the public that may not understand this conversation? <laughs> and one, one of the things that I, I we were mentioning was, again, and I've told you this off camera, there was a lot of stuff that I, I when I was training, I was just focused on the training. There's a lot of guys that do Kembo, they're just focused on the training. And maybe later, years later, After you get your black belt, you start thinking about, well, where did this come from? Or why do I do this this way? Or why was I taught this way? And I want to say one of the beautiful things about Kaju Kembo. I can walk into any Kaju Kembo school in the world. And if what you just said follows along the lines that you look on the tree, whether you want to be on the tree or not is a completely different story. Let's say you decide you wanna be on the tree. You can still look at your instructor. You're gonna find one of your instructors or your instructor's instructor on that tree. Whether you decide to be on it or not, that's your personal decision, but you can find that line and follow it all the way back to the founder. Um, and the cool thing about that is you're pretty much welcome to train anywhere in the world. Like you can just walk in right. and be like, Hey, hi, my, my name's Angelo. I'm um, a Kajakembo black belt under Shizua Nabad. My instructor is this. And if they have the tree, which most of them do, most schools do, some don't, but most of them have the big tree uh, put together by Philip Gelinas. There's a whole podcast on that, too. I'm not going to go there with this. Um, You'll find yourself with a giant community of like-minded martial artists. And the reason I say like-minded martial artists is on that same token, I can walk into an MMA gym which does not have this an MMA gym is just going to hire it's a it's a facility it's like 24 hour fitness or planet fitness or you name the chain it's a chain if it's not a chain the idea is a chain because that's where this modern world is going is everybody wants to have a big business so you walk into this MMA gym they don't know who you are you're like hi I do kajukenbo. well we don't know what kajukenbo is okay well let me let me name some people in your world that you might know do you know Chuck Liddell? Okay, yeah, okay. Uh, he's a Karcher Campbell guy. He, you know, that's that's related to the people, that's similar to what we do. It's not the same, but you got to explain this to people that don't know what it is, and that's why this podcast to me is really important because this is what happened when we went to China and I I trained in MMA gyms in China. I mean, they'd ask me, "Where are you from? You obviously know something. You're not full of shit." Like <laughs> we're training and and you keep up with us and you're doing, but you obviously trained in something. But you're saying you didn't train. It looks like you trained in MMA gym, but you're saying you didn't but you understand what we're doing. I'm like, yeah, and then I have to go into that, right? Um, Why is this important? It's important because what I love about Kajikembo is I can go anywhere, anywhere. You can't say that about everything. And I'm not trying to knock down other styles, but if you only do BJJ and you walk in and you've only done BJJ, traditional sport, gi jiu-jitsu, BJJ from a school like Gracie Baja, for example then when you walk into your first actual MMA school, or even if you walk into a Gracie Baja MMA branch, you're in for a shocker. They're going to be doing stuff you've never, ever covered in your life. But what I think is cool about Kajikambo is I can walk into just about any place and feel comfortable and say, hey, this is who I, this is who I turned in. And there's name recognition. I don't, I don't have to start off as just some guy who came off the street. Who the fuck is this guy? The second I say this stuff, they might not have, a lot of respect for me, but there's definitely a certain level of respect where they're no longer giving me this look like that look. That look goes away and it's more of a welcoming, that Ohana feeling. So that, that's what I want to say that I think is beautiful about Kaji Kembo is you can pretty much walk into anywhere, say you do Kaji Kembo and if you can follow that line and name some of the names that we just mentioned, Alda Costcos being one of them. I can walk into a Kung Fu school and mention Alda Costcos and a lot of kung fu guys recognize that name a
1: lot well, of kung fu guys recognize that name. of course you do i mean part of the reason is kajikembo uh kung fu existence is even there Otto of went on to be a tournament fighter and he represented Kembo around the world and you know he was one of the best of the best his wife at the time malia dagascos uh who is a dear friend of mine. I mean, she's absolutely an amazing person, amazing martial artist, but her skill level was off the charts. So whether she was fighting or doing form, she was always winning. She was you know, the best all the time. And then Eric Lee, another person that people are very familiar with is from that same group of, of people, right? And he's considered the King of Kata. So to get a name King of Kata, you gotta be really good at your craft and he was he was uh, eric is a fantastic martial artist. so these guys are traveling around making a huge name for kaji kembo in the 60s and the 70s right then they go off to germany and I, I won't go into all that because if you have aldecovas on the show you're going to want to go into that stuff but they're making kaji kembo a worldwide name by you know being on the covers of all these magazines or being on tv shows and you know, for people that don't know, Mark DeCosco's, uh actor, you know, movie star, uh, martial arts—that's Al DeCasas's son, right? And raised by Alan Malia. So the talent continues. Huge talent pool from from this group of people. And then you look at Kage Kimble morphed into uh, a lot of the a lot of the fighting stuff. You know, uh, Damon Gilbert, Woody Sims. Uh, Richie Barfield, all these guys went on, uh, Satch, Percy, all these guys went on to become well-known tournament fighters. So Kembo branched out in a lot of different directions, but I think it's important for your viewers to understand and even if you're a Kachikembo practitioner, understand this point. Kembo is a combination of arts. Karate, judo, jiu-jitsu, tempo, and boxing. You do not know enough judo to go to a judo school and jack up some judoka. But you know enough judo to jack up a boxer. You don't know enough boxing to go into a boxing gym and and tune up some boxer, but you know enough judo and jujitsu to take him to the ground and choke him out. So Kaji Kimmel is a street-based martial arts that focuses on you having skill levels in multiple disciplines, but you're not a master in every discipline. And so, like when you see, there was a Fight Quest uh, TV show where Kaji Kimmel was featured in that. And it, it for some reason, they tried to make Kaji Kimmel into a a ring based MMA art, uh, art during this this filming. Kaji Kimmel's not that. I'm not quite sure why the producers wanted to go down that road. Kaji Kimmel's street based self defense system. So, the skills that you're taught are to help you stay alive on the street against multiple attackers, people with knife, uh, club, um, some fighting skills, etc. cetera. It's not so that like if you and I went to roll around in the gym and all I knew was Kaji Kimbo with your MMA background, it would be very quick and I'd be tapping on the mat because we don't train to that level at most schools. Now, Bobby Serrano's school is a little bit different. They take every art, uh, like his son, Little Bobby, he's a a very good MMA fighter for Bellator, right? But they take every art and break it down. So Little Bobby's got a boxing coach, got a judo coach, got a wrestling coach, and so forth. And plus he was, you know, a million times, uh, you know, point fighting champion, all that stuff, right? So it's all layers on top of layers. How good can you get? Depends on how much work you want to put in, and that's it. In any style, any school, any any discipline. But I think for Kaji Kimbo, it's a uh, it's a collection of arts that allows you enough skill in each one to overcome something else.
0: I was telling one of my one of my students who's a BJJ purple belt. I was telling him, you know, if you can just walk away having an appreciation for all martial arts. That's my personal goal. Everyone has their own different goals and culture guys, but my personal goal with my students is if you can walk away with a general respect and a general appreciation for martial arts, then I'm happy. I'm personally happy. You, if, if you can have that, because um, some people have a closed mindset, right? Some people have a closed mindset as to, I do this one style, therefore this other style. If, if I can at least break that up a little bit and have you just have an open mind then then my job as as a kajukimbo instructor has been done and i'm happy with that now we are starting to go into the what is kajukimbo question that i tell myself i am not gonna fucking answer but somehow i was there so we're gonna wrap this up thank you for calling, coming to my ted talk um (laughs) mitch thanks for coming out and breaking all that down um for my listeners, as you can see, there's a lot of past history here. I cur- encourage you to jump into those playlists if, you, if you're if interested in wanting to know more about Kajukimbo, more about. I am not the Kajikembo History Podcast, but I do have a lot of stuff on there that you can check out as a resource. And anything else you want to add before we, we're done here, Mitch? Uh,
1: no, I think we've wrapped this up. But I do want to have one question for you. It's not another trivia question, is it? No. <laughs> All right. Not really. So you live in Japan, what's the biggest challenge of teaching Kajikembo in Japan?
0: The, the question that I told you I hate answering.
1: That's the,
0: <laughs> the, one what is, the what is Kajikembo? Why, why I hate talking about it. Why I spent maybe the first, and this is what ended up getting me to you and the rest of the Kajikembo community so I can have a better understanding how to not only break this down, not only break this down, but then explain it in Japanese, which I'm about 60% proficient. So not only do I have to break it down, I have to simplify it because this is the question every single Japanese person that walks into my place is asking me on day one. That's the first question. And they're only gonna be looking at my material that I put online. Um, I was recently talking to someone, this kind of gets sidetracked, but um, I've been doing these reels. Like I usually just do Facebook posts, but I've been switching over to reels because I notice it gets more views. And one of my goals is to just have the name Kaju Kimbo on there. Because if you just see me punching the bag, you might think it's kickboxing, or you might think it's MMA, or you might think it's boxing. Because sometimes I'll be hitting a timing bag, right? So the problem with that is then someone comes into my school and they're like, hey um i want to get into a boxing match can you coach me for boxing and i'm like i teach kaju Kembo here the answer is yes i can i've done it before but you need to start off with i teach kaju Kembo here and 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 some of them get discouraged because they have a very sport mindset and they especially in japan i don't know how it is happening in the u.s but in japan they're very very much they're very competitive and they're very sport mindset they want to win trophies. They want to get recognition in their in a sport. So when they come into my school, most of the guys come in with a very, very, very direct goal. I want to win a boxing match. I want to be a boxing champion. I want to be a kickboxing champion. What? Have I had a I had one guy, but he didn't walk into my school. He met me at another place, but he wanted to get into MMA and fight in the UFC. Um they have this very sport-focused mentality. So the the first thing I have to break down is what is kajukembo and whether or not it's going to help them with that goal. I have to be honest with myself how much time I actually have. And I've told that to people, hey, this is how much time I have to teach you. I teach this thing called kajukembo. One of the first things that became very helpful to me was to stop saying the acronym. If I say the acronym first, they get lost. If I start with karate, they are going to walk right out that door. I had one student was here for three weeks she was it was a kid he had a great time but suddenly his mother says you know i just talked to my brother who's a four-time karate national champion full contact uh kukushin champion and he says he's never heard of Kembo and that it's not real karate and i said i never said it was karate I said it was an acronym but all she heard when i broke that down was the karate and then when she went to go verify oh never heard of it oh therefore you're not legit you, you know and everything you're teaching is and she left right she left she quit because she thought i was uh, a fraud so when that happened i'm like you know what i gotta find a better way of explaining this and the first thing that i started doing was saying it's an american martial art That's the first thing i say it's an american martial art designed for self-defense in the u.s and they look at me and they kind of give me this cockeyed look like what do you mean how many, you, we live in Japan, how many altercations do you think you've encountered in your lifetime? Like none. All right, in America, that's not how it works. If you're an American and you're living in America, there's no way you're going to get to the age of 18 and not have been at, in at least several altercations, whether it was bullied at school or jumped. And if you came from where I came, there's no way you got to 18 without seeing someone get shot or stabbed. So like, this is, if you understand that, this is the mindset of what I'm teaching here then come in for a free le- and i tell them now like, i want to learn jujitsu i teach Kembo what's that come in for a free trial lesson and i'll tell you about it yeah and i don't concern myself so much on the what is Kembo as much as look at it here's some philosophy it's designed to keep yourself safe and your family safe and then we'll talk about your goals but if you're not okay with that first step I told this one guy, I was like, you know, well, can you get me to a Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournament? Go to a Brazilian jiu-jitsu place. Right. But, uh, but 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 uh, on your, on your, on your Instagram videos, I saw you choking a guy out and it looks like Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Go to a, go to a Brazilian jiu-jitsu place if that's your goal. If you want to come here, you come here to learn kajakambo. And he joined. <laughs> I said that to him and he joined. He came in, he loved it. He said, I've never done anything like this. I've had a great time. Hey, can we do some jiu-jitsu after class? Sure. I don't mind. As long as you don't ask me to teach you jujitsu during class. Like I'll teach you, I'll teach you elements of jujitsu. I'm not saying I don't like you said, the Jew, right? And I have a I have uh, for what it's worth, I'm getting close to getting my brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I've been doing it for 10 years. Um, no, that's more. I've been doing it since I was 25. Fuck, what's like 16 years of Brazilian jiu-jitsu? There you go.
1: Um
0: so like, yeah, there's going to be a drill in there. If you do BJJ, there's going to be a drill. in there. oh, that's, that's BJJ. That's what you're going to think. But before that, we start off with karate blocks. No, that's not BJJ. Well, I told you it's not BJJ. This is why I told you that. Now, if you're patient enough, if you're patient enough, class ends and you are sport focused, then once class is done, you got to remember, remember I said about being respectful to all people from all walks of life. Some of the people now, those are the sport oriented people. Now I do have your average person who just comes in with an empty cup and they love it. They absolutely love it. I have law enforcement, law enforcement out here loves Kaju Kembo. They mm-hmm. love it. It's like, Hey, this is, this is what I was looking for. i have a black, he's got a, He's already got a black bone karate. He's already got his own classes. He already teaches karate. He came here for Kaju Kembo Cause he saw it. He read about it. He read a Wikipedia page that I had my student write so if you ever go on Wikipedia and you type and you click to change the language to Japanese, one of my students translated the uh, English Kaju Kembo page to Japanese. Oh, nice. So so now Japanese people, I told them, go check out Wikipedia. And it shows them the history. And this guy looked at that and said, I want to do that. That. That's what I want to do. Um, And they love it because that's exactly what it's tailored for. a uh, 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 Defensive art based in real combat, based in... In a, in a no rule situation. So, that will always be my greatest challenge in Japan is to get them to understand what it is. And I found the best thing to do is keep it simple. Don't call it karate, call it an American martial art. Help make sure they get that first trial lesson and make sure they understand what it is. And then, if it's not for them, be okay with that then be happy. Like like Hoylo said, Hoylo's like, well, then just be happy that one more person tried it, and they heard about it, and they'll tell someone else about it, and I have to let it go sometimes. Like, okay, and that's good enough. It wasn't for them. They want to be a boxer, then go to a boxing gym because right. I'm not a boxing gym. So that, that's one of the things. To answer your question, that's been my greatest challenge in Japan. So you had to
1: Americanize it. Yeah, I had more more Amer-
0: Americanize it some more. <laughs> it's funny, right? Can- don't they get a free pair of blue jeans if <laughs> yeah i get you a pair of levi's <laughs> That's great. good answer
1: though
0: well mitch again thank you so much to my listeners thank you so much for checking out social jello with angelo a podcast about psychology and martial arts and uh, i try to release it at least lately it's been like a podcast twice or three times a month because i'm so behind in production i'm just trying to get them out there and, um, and you'll also see some martial arts stuff in there in between, like instructionals and stuff. I put that up there too. Catch you all next
1: time. All right.